If you're thankful for the blood of Jesus this morning, would you say this amen? amen? Ricky Baker, can you hear me in that drum cage? You know why they got him in that cage, don't you? I love it. They call it, they call it a house. I call it a cage. Brother, it sure is good to see you on those drums. Man, he was, I'm going to tell you, if he beat on me like he beat those drums, I'd be dead right now. He got so carried away when they got to singing about the blood of Jesus Christ when the cross ran red. I thought he was going to tear them all to pieces. Good to see you in there, brother. I love you very, very much. Well, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me today to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke, chapter 15. We're going to look at seven verses, verses 1 through 7 uh, this morning in just a moment. While you're turning there, let me just uh, share two or three things with you. You know, uh, our pastor had asked us uh, to pray daily, and several things that he had asked us to pray daily for. One of those was that we would be in one worship service. How many of you remember that's what you're praying? Amen. Please do that. That somehow, some way, God would work that out. We would get into one worship service, and so keep praying for that. And then he also asked us to pray, number two, for something else. He asked us to pray for the wild game dinner. We were to pray for a place. God provided the place. We were to pray that the tickets would go sell in less than 24 hours. The tickets got gone. The place is filled up. And so now I want to ask you to pray that lost souls will be saved. That those seats will be filled with men, women, boys, and girls that need to hear the liberating, transformating gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for that. Number next, he said we need to be praying for revival. And he asked us to pray for the dates beginning on May the 5th through the 8th. And then I believe on, the, on March the 23rd, we would have revival prep training right here with John Reed. want you to be praying for that. And then he asked us to pray for something else, and that was that building. If you remember last Sunday, he announced that we had been praying for the plans that the architect would get them. And so the architect... We received the plans, and we hallelujah done that, and then we were to get the plans to the county so that they could sign off of them. Y'all, I mean, y'all been praying for that. Well, guess what? On Wednesday, those plans got signed off and ready. Let me give you something better. That same day, we received the permit to start building in that gymnasium. How about that? Is that any better? How many of you... Uh, realize I missed one. He said we're to pray daily that we'd reach how many more? Just one more. We'd reach just one more in Sunday school. Last Sunday, as compared to the previous year on the same Sunday, last Sunday we had 136 more people in Sunday school than we did the year before. We're reaching just one more. I think y'all let the Lord know that. Just one more. For you know, ever since January the 30th, he began that series of sermons in direction and vision that he believed that God had given to him, and I believe as well, and I know many of you do as well, the direction for our church to go in that. And one of that is simply reach one more. Just reach one more. And today I want to preach on this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, just one more. So if you have your Bible and you're able to stand Would you stand and join me as we honor the reading of the Word of God? Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, 
This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, let me just remind you that word receives there means to welcome them. In other words, the doormat is open. In other words, he gladly wants them to be there. And so in verse 3, so he spoke this parable to them saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. You may be seated for prayer. Father, today we have the truths found in your word which are alive forevermore. I pray that we will be challenged and we'll be more committed than ever, oh God, to surrender our will to your will so that you could use us and work in us and through us to reach one more. Oh God, may you know this church in heaven as a one more church. God, could we just be that? And I pray that this message engrafted in our heart through the Holy Spirit of God would transform our attitudes and our actions forever just to reach one more for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 15, the title of this chapter really could be called God's Lost and Found. For what you find in this passage of Scripture are three parables that really can center around three words, lost, found, and rejoice. All three parables deal in that manner. Not only that, when you look at these chapters, what you'll find is it contains in these three uh, beautiful parables an illustration of God's love and God's concern for the lost. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned about those that are lost? Did you know he has a great compassion for those that need to be saved? In this passage of Scripture, we're going to see that love illustrated very clearly. I'm reminded of a story I read about D.L. Moody, a famous evangelist in the 1800s in Chicago. D.L. Moody was one of the first ones to begin Sunday school. There was a little boy that would come to D.L. Moody's Sunday school, but he had to come a long way. One day while he was on his way going to Sunday school, a man stopped him and said, Hey, young man, why is it that you go to Mr. Moody's Sunday school? There are plenty of churches that you walk by on your way to get there. The little boy looked at the man. He said, Sir, the reason I go to Mr. Moody's Sunday school is because they love and care for little fellows just like me. Can I just say something to you here today? Do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and cares about you today? Do you know that our Sunday school, many of you have just come out of, is a Sunday school that says we want you here. You're welcome here. We want you to experience the love of Jesus Christ here. We want you to know that God's got a purpose for you. We want you to know that we want to serve you. We want you to know we want you to come back and be with us again. That's exactly the kind of Sunday school and the love that D.L. Moody had. Having said that, in this passage of Scripture here, we're going to see the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this parable is a response because of the Pharisees and the, the scribes complained about the Lord Jesus and his dealings with those that are sinners. Aren't you thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ loves and deals with sinners? Amen. And in this passage of Scripture, you're going to see that 
very well. It's important to notice that the Lord Jesus Christ, he attracted the sinners while the Pharisees repelled them. You know, there's something very attracting about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something very attracting about the sinless Son of God. There's something very attracting about the Savior who died on Calvary so that you and I could have our sins forgiven. And so we see here that he attracted them while the Pharisees compelled them or repelled them to come. Notice the Pharisees and scribes complained not only that the Lord Jesus Christ welcomed them, but that he ate with them. Aren't you thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and I regardless? Aren't you thankful that he wants to be involved in our lives regardless of what we're involved in? I'm thankful that we see that in this passage of Scripture. You know, I'm reminded of Zacchaeus in just for a little bit. How is it that the Lord Jesus Christ would go after just that one little Zacchaeus? The other day, it's amazing, I heard little Brandon Briggs, they were in there singing, and little Briggs tries to sing so much. I mean, listen, y'all, I believe he's going to make it. I believe he's going to make it. But in order to make it, he's going to have to learn to pronounce his words where he can read, hear them. He was in there just a singing, and he said, sissy, and they started singing. I said, what are y'all singing about, Robin? I didn't know what they were singing. And they were singing about little Zacchaeus up a tree. Can I I just say something. Do you know you and I, because of our sin outside of Jesus Christ, have gone up a tree? I find it very interesting, eh? When I think about what Jesus did to Zacchaeus, three things real quickly, I know this is very important. Now, you think about this. How many of you in here have ever sung that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was saved? Me, me, many. Here's something very important I've got to thinking about the Lord Jesus and Zacchaeus. The first thing is he saw him. He saw him. Number two, he knew him. He knew him by his name. And number three, he wanted him. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ today wants you? You may not feel like you're wanted by anybody else. You may feel like you've never been accepted. You may feel like there's no one in this world that cares about you. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ, he loves you. And he deeply, deeply cares about you. And so we see here in this passage of Scripture that the Lord Jesus is that way. And so as a response to the comments, the Lord Jesus, he gives us these three beautiful parables. And these parables really could be summed up by three words, lost, found, and rejoice. And so this morning, I want us to look at this first parable in this chapter of what I call God's lost and found. And let's look at three things as we consider just reaching one more. Just one more. The first thing I want you to notice here is simply the condition of the sinner. What is it, the condition of the sinner? When you think about the shepherd, he has 100 sheep. Now, all of a sudden, he goes there and he begins to count sheep. And he's not in his sleep trying to go to sleep counting sheep. I mean, he's literally counting sheep. And what he discovers is that one is missing. This parable teaches you and I that you and I are like lost sheep. The Bible C tells us in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Then I think about what the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 25, for you were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your soul. You see, a lost person outside the Lord Jesus Christ could not be more accurately described than a picture in this picture of a lost sheep. When the Bible compares you and I to lost sheep, it's really not complimenting us. Did you know that? He's not really bringing a great accolade upon our lives in that we act like lost sheep. For I want you to consider three things about sheep that I think are very important. 
Number one, did you realize that a sheep has no sense? A sheep is senseless. I mean, they're to the point that they're really, really dumb. Now, you think about it if you just for just a moment. There are a lot of animals you can teach a lot of things. For example, you can train an elephant to do some things. Did you know that? Sure you can. And you can train a dog to do some things. And there's other animals that you can train to do some things. But can I just say this to you? You can't train a sheep to do anything. I mean, you really can't. They're just senseless. They're dumb. I mean, they know nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. And do you know that is a perfect picture of you and I outside of Jesus Christ? When it comes to spiritual matters, when you're outside of Jesus Christ, you and I are just completely dumb. We don't understand the love of God. We don't get the cross. We don't understand Calvary. We don't understand why God would give up his only son. But I'm telling you, when the moment you receive Christ and you accept him and his love and his forgiveness, there's a lot you understand about Jesus Christ. Not too awful long ago, about two or three years ago, I got put in a duck pit with a man duck hunting. I didn't know I was going to be hunting with this guy. I thought I was going to be with somebody else. And so the next morning I get ready to go. I've got my gun and my waders on and we're going to the duck pit. And this man walks up to me and he says, I hope you don't mind if I'm hunting with you today. Truth of the matter is, I hope he didn't mind me. I can't shoot worth a flip, say any ducks. I mean, he's going to have to do all of it. Just truth of the matter. I said, do you know what you're getting yourself into, man? I think you've got the wrong person. He said, no, I, I've got the right person. Didn't understand that, so we get in the duck pit, and we begin to talk just for a few moments. And this man begins to reveal to me that he has obtained 19 patents for NASA. He is intellectually beyond the stratosphere as far as I'm concerned. I'm being honest with you. And I know he is intelligent beyond belief. And he sat there, and after he began to share all this with me, then it's what he said. He said, I say all that to say this. I'm not pointing out my intelligence to impress you. I'm pointing out my intelligence to show you how dumb I am. I said, what do you mean you're dumb? He said, the reason I wanted to get in the pit with you is because you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, well, yes, I am. He said, do you know how dumb I am when it comes to spiritual matters? I said, what? He said, I know nothing spiritually about anything. He said, is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell? Is there really a man by the name? Was there a man by the name of Jesus? Was he God's son? Was he truly born of a virgin? Did he die on the cross at a place called Calvary? And his death purchased for anyone that would receive his forgiveness, eternal life. Did, did that really happen? And I began to take that whole morning and began to explain and answer all the questions I could in my little pea brain, feeble mind what Jesus could do. We got through hunting that morning and it was over with and didn't know if I'd ever get to hunt with him again. And later on that night, here's what happened I opened the door and it was him. He said, I just want you to understand something. He said, first off, thank you for sharing what you shared with me. He said, I've come to understand two or three things that I didn't know. And I'm not saying I'm getting more intelligent. I just want you to know I've got great conviction about something in my life. I said, what is that? He said, I'm a sinner. He said, I'm convicted that I'm a sinner. And if I'm convicted that I'm a sinner, then there must be a God in heaven who's holy that's convicting me that I don't measure up to him. 
And if I don't measure up to him, then there must be a God in heaven who loves me enough to do something about it. So truly, Jesus Christ must have been his son. And if he is his son, and if he died on the cross to pay for my sin, because I'm convicted that I'm a sinner and he's a holy God, then I almost must accept the fact that I can, that if I would turn from my sin like you said the Bible says, and receive him, I would be saved. I said, well, if you've got all that figured out, what's keeping you from getting saved? He said, nothing. That's why I'm knocking on your door. I want to get saved right now. Listen, friend, until you come to know Jesus Christ, when it comes to the spiritual matters of God, we're all dumb. The sheep is dumb. But I'll tell you something else. Not only when we consider the condition of a sinner in relation in this parable to a sheep, not only is he dumb, he's directionless. Do you know a sheep has no sense of direction? I mean, they really don't. A sheep has no sense of direction where they're going. I mean, they never intend to get away from the flock, but they nibble a little bit here, and they nibble a little bit there, and they nibble a little bit over yonder. And for long, guess what? They're no longer where the flock is. I'm going to give you a test, and you can text me, see me, give me the answer. How many of you in here ever eat at Cracker Barrel? Raise your hand. You know they're watching. I get a dime for every one of y'all's hands. That's what I get paid for. <laughs> Don and I were in the, uh, if you're a first-time guest, our pastor will be back next week, and I promise it'll be a little better. <laughs> Don and I were in Cracker Barrel the other day, and I was sitting up against the wall and happened to look over there, Abe, and there was a picture. So you're going to, this is your, this is your homework. You go to Cracker Barrel and find this picture. And in that picture, you're going to see there's a shepherd, there's a sheep that are following and at the back, there is a sheep, one sheep, one sheep, just one, who is wandering off into the wilderness, and he is getting away from the flock. You find that picture. Because here's what I want you to understand. Sheep follow other sheep, and when they do, sometimes they get lost. You and I nibble a little in sin over here. We nibble in a little sin over here. We nibble a little sin over here, and we nibble a little sin over here, and I'm telling you, we're lost. Sheep. It's not complimentary to be called a sheep. Why? They're dumb. Number two, they're directionless. Do you know a sheep will never come back home? Sheep will never come back home. He'll wander off, but somebody's got to go find the sheep because he don't know how to get back home. Now, you take a dog, on the other hand, bless God, you could take him off somewhere, and it wouldn't be long, he'd be back home, amen? Some of y'all are laughing. Y'all done done it too. I know you have. I'll never forget when I was little, my grandfather had a dog named Poochie. Poochie. And there was a man, and he farmed. He was a truck farmer. And he farmed on the Chattahoochee River in Gwinnett County. There was a man across the river in Fulton County in a little place called Shake Rag. Anybody here know where Shake Rag is? Look at the hands go. Okay, so I got you now. You with me? Shake Rag. That man loved that little dog so much. He talked my granddaddy out of that dog. He said, "Won't you just give me Poochie? Let me have Poochie." So we loaded old Poochie up in the '57 step side Chevrolet pickup truck. Now I'm telling my age. And we crossed Highway 120 into Fulton County and took Poochie to Shake Rag. We left old Poochie there. The next morning when my grandfather got up to eat breakfast, guess who was wagging his tail at the door? <laughs> Here's something I've never figured out about old Poochie. 
I changed his name, by the way, to Highway 120. The only way he got back home was Highway 120 unless he swam across the river. I want you to know, sheep are directionless, and you and I are too. Can I just say something? We'll never come home. We'll never come home. If we could have, the Father would have never allowed his Son to come from heaven so that you and I could receive him and he could take us back home. They're directionless. Number three, sheep is not smart. Uh, he is uh, absolutely directionless. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to get back home. But there's something else about a sheep that's simply this. He can't protect himself at all. He's defenseless. Sheep are defenseless. Think about this, for example. Uh, when it comes to fight or flight, when it comes to fight, sheep really have no way to protect themselves. You know, they don't have sharp hooves. They can't bite that hard. I mean, they're, they're, they're just open prey. Would you agree with me? You know, they're defenseless. And then when you think about when it comes to not only fighting, but flighting, you know, what about that? They can't run fast. They're, they're just not. And so a sheep can't defend himself. Uh, I never had seen this so clearly as we were in South Dakota two or three years ago. Don and I, we were out there on our honeymoon, and we were out just outside of Custer State Park out there, and out of the Badlands and, and, and the Black Hills, and we were over there sitting up on, I called it just sitting up on the hill. Now, they called it something else out there. I called it looking over into a valley. They called it looking over into a canyon. But anyway, long story short was we were out there looking. There was a herd of buffalo in one area. We had binoculars. We were looking out over the buffalo. Then we saw not only the buffalo, but we saw some sheep, and we saw some elk. I mean, we saw all kinds of things. But in particular, we saw these sheep, and they were closer. And there was a knob or a hill uh, that where sheep were on one side, and I got to looking, and there was a coyote. And that coyote was crouched down, I mean, just on the other side of that knob. And as that sheep got closer and closer and closer, and I watched it, I could see it all happen. I knew what was about to happen. And bang! That coyote sprang, and he got that sheep. Some of you can take a second breath. I think I scared some of you. <laughs> can I say something? Outside of the protection of Jesus Christ, you and I have no defense against the wiles of the devil. Outside of Jesus Christ, we're hopeless. Outside of Jesus Christ, eternity forever will never be in heaven. It will be in a place called hell. Destruction. Perishing. But with Jesus Christ, there's safety. So we see, first off, the condition of the sinner. It is not good. But number two, I want you to notice the compassion, the compassion of the Savior. In this par parable of what we're looking at here, you'll notice that this shepherd is none other than whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior that he's speaking to here. Several things that I want us to notice about this uh, shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. The first thing that I want you to notice, and I, and I title this the compassion, because I want you to understand what the definition of compassion is. Compassion is love in action. Compassion is simply love in action. And when you think about a parable, what you're thinking about is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And in this compassion of the Savior, love in action, I want you to see three things that I see him doing that love compelled the shepherd or the Savior to do. First off, we see that he's leaving. He's leaving. In verse 4, it says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, 
If he loses one of them, I know I'd underline that word one, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Now watch this. Love in action. So here's what's happened. The shepherds counted the sheep. He realized if one's missing, he doesn't consider the time of day. He doesn't consider the weather. And I'm going to go and be honest with you. I don't know if I'd have been a shepherd cold as it is right, right out there now. I might have some second guess about, you know what, you own your own. You know, you do your own thing. But the shepherd wasn't that way. Love compelled him to do some things that love should compel you and I to do. Number one, we see him leaving. Notice that the shepherd is leaving. He leaves in this type of manner. This word has a connotation, if you will. It refers to leaving in urgency. There's an emergency that's taking place. There's urgency that's on the way. Danny was uh, carried to the hospital here recently, and uh, he had chest pain. Danny, I can't believe you're in here this morning. God bless you. I saw Fitz. He was in the hospital. And, man, y'all both are here. But Amanda, there was an urgency to get somewhere, was there not? Look at the on her face. She did you right. There was. What he's saying here in this, in this leaving, it carries the concept that he left in an urgent manner. There was some intentionality to it. He didn't just grab, you know, his staff. He didn't just grab his cloak and say, oh, well, I, there's one sheep leaving. I might better go consider what's going on. Oh, no. I can see him in not panic, but intentionally taking some steps, getting that cloak, getting that staff, looking for the tracks. He's trying to find that one lost sheep. Can I just say something to you? Today you're here and don't know Jesus Christ. He's in here to find you. He's in here so that you'll know him for who he truly is. He is Savior of the world. And we see him leaving. He's leaving in this urgent manner. He's leaving because he knows that he won't ever be able to come back on his own. You say, David, did he leave because there's such great value in the sheep? Now listen to me. He didn't leave because there was value in the sheep. The reason he left the point of this whole parable is simply this. It's not the value of the sheep. It's the love of the shepherd. It's the love of the shepherd. Folks, I'm telling you, we're lost and undone outside of Jesus Christ. We're dead in sin and trespasses. We're walking dead people, amen? But because of the love of Jesus Christ, he left heaven 2,000 years ago. He died on a cruel Roman cross so that you and I could know the forgiveness of sin, the joy of spending eternity with heaven. But before we get there, the blessedness of having him all day long, amen? That's our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, you about did the Baptist jig. You call it what you want to. Bless God, I did get a little happy right then. Romans 5, 8 says, God committed his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus did something for you and I. He died for us. John 3, 16 is so uh, familiar, I'm afraid, that we fail to realize the depth of that passage of Scripture. For God so loved the world, he did something. Love in action, compassion, that's what he said. God did something. He did what? Sent his only begotten son. Begotten, what does that mean? Unique, one of a kind. For what reason? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We see him leaving. And not only did we see this leaving, he left for just one. I'm reminded of the woman at the well that he left for, who was the town prostitute. But Jesus said, I must need go by Samaria because there's a woman there whose life is ruined, it's wrecked, it's in shambles. I must go to here because I'm the one that can give her living water that she can drink from forevermore. 
Can I know something? When he found me, I was just that one. He's here to find you, just that one. Just one more. So we see him leaving, but not only do we see this shepherd leaving, but we also see him looking. Looking. This word looking here carries the idea, if you will, looking to find. Have you ever been trying to find something? You say, well, I don't guess I'll ever find that. That's gone. I, I got to be honest with you. I've never told this. I'm fixing to confess something to about 300 people, but I'm going to tell it. I received a gift card one time of $250. I stuck it in a coat pocket. I lost that coat. Now, the coat wasn't worth the flip, but that $250 gift certificate was. I never expected to find that coat because of where I left it, even though my name was written on the front of it. I felt there was no reason even to look, and I was right. But watch this. This looking carries the connotation of expectancy to find. You know what Jesus is saying here? When the shepherd left in urgency, intentionality, he expected to find that one lost sheep that he was going after. Can I just say something today? If you're sitting here and lost and don't know Jesus Christ, I've already asked the Holy Spirit of God to arrest your heart this morning that he would find you and you would know that he loves you and he wants to save you and you would surrender to him as the Savior of your life. We see him leaving. We see him looking. He is looking that kind of way. And then I want you to notice something else when I think about this looking. How is it, how is it that we should be? As a church, how should we be? You know who are the great churches in the world today? They're the churches that are leaving and looking for just one more. I'm telling you, some churches spend no money whatsoever in trying to do a fall festival, do a wild game dinner. Do a ladies night out. I'm talking about would do nothing to reach one more. I mean, I've been in churches, and that's not one far from here. Was there on a Sunday morning, and I was right there by the pew fixing to sit down, and here's what happened. The lady was standing beside me and her, her husband. She said, are you about to sit there? I said, yes, ma'am. Will that be okay? She said, not really. She said, if you looked on the end of the pew, you'd have seen our names on that, and this is where we're going to sit. I thought to myself, they're not looking for me. And she said, by the way, who are you? I said, I'm the one that's fixed to stand in your pulpit and preach. I just want you to know. <laughs> that's right, Carol. It came up and the Holy Ghost got out. Okay, I'm telling you. Here's <laughs> David, how do you know if a church is uh, willing to leave and to look? Let me just give you some examples to see if this is happening in your own personal life and maybe in the life of our church. Number one, are you praying, God, help me to find just that one more? God, lay that name on my heart. Show me their face. God, not only that, then give me the intentionality through the power of your Holy Spirit to invite, to invite them, even to share Christ with them. God, would you do that? Would you help me in that way? And God, I just want to say something else. Whatever you need me to do, whatever I can give, God, whatever I, yeah, I've got, God, it's all yours anyway. Help me to use it for your glory to reach just one more. When you find your attitudes that way, and you're praying, and you're inviting, and you're sharing, then you've got a passion for just one more. He said, David, how do I know if our church is just about one more? Look at our budget. Look what the money is being spent on. You go to a church that doesn't care about one more, you'll never find the things that we do right here. Equipping and training to reach just one more. 
So we see him looking. We see him leaving. But the last thing on this passage, and I've got my watch on. I'm going to get you out of here, I promise. Maybe just not on time. I mean, number three, we see him loving. We see him loving. Verse 5, look what he does here. He says in verse 5, and when he had found it, and when he had found it, what have you done when you found something you were really looking for? Have a fit. Get excited. Look what he did here. And when he found it, who found it? The shepherd. Who's the shepherd? The Savior. When the Savior found it, being the sheep, sheep representing what? The lost soul. What does he do here? When he found that lost soul, he lays it on his shoulder and he rejoices. Amen. Three things for the sake of time. I just want to read these to you and reel them off. He said, David, what do you see in this when we find him loving? Number one, I see him loving because of his security. Their security when the Savior finds him. I want you to notice what he does. He takes him and lays him on his shoulders. That word shoulders in the plural, amen? Isaiah 9, 6 simply says this. The government of the world shall be upon his shoulder. Singular. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, the shoulder of the Lord Jesus Christ is able to handle all from one end of this world to the other. But he doesn't need to just take one shoulder for you and I. He takes both shoulders, amen? It is a picture of security. He takes that lamb and he takes the front feet by one hand. He takes the back feet by the other. And I can see him reaching up and putting that lamb upon his shoulder tightly holding on to that. It's security. He says I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And no eyes will ever cast you out. Amen. There's the security of the believer found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only do we see the security there but we see that he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing. He's excited that he's found what he loves. Aren't you thankful when the Lord Jesus Christ found you and he found me? I rejoice. I got excited. My wife got excited. I can see her running through the door right there, running. She was in the nursery and, the, and Billy Brent, who's dead now, said, David, you've just given your life to Jesus Christ, right? I said, yes. My wife heard that. She busted asunder nearly right through those doors, right into my arms, screaming and crying. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my husband. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my boy's daddy. Thank you, Jesus, for saving him so you can use him for your glory. I want you to know something. When God saves you, it's for a purpose, and that purpose is to love you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Now, bless God where that came from, I don't know. I'll have to lay down and sleep for four hours after that. I will. Loving Security, loving, rejoicing. But I find something else about this I want you to understand. I see responsibility in this as well. Responsibility. It's one thing to go looking for something. The shepherd out the door, cloak and staff. But how do you... Hang on to all that when you've got a sheep around your neck. Whose responsibility was it for the sheep to get back to the fold? Was it the sheep or the shepherds? And where did he take him back to? Home. Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. The older I get, home looks a whole lot better. Heaven looks a little sweeter. Aren't you thankful? That it's not my job to get to heaven. It's his. It's his, Amanda. 
He tells us in John 14, 3. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. His responsibility. Well, we see here the compassion of the shepherd, the Savior. But lastly, we need to see, and I've got six minutes. We need to see the celebration of the saints. Now, you know when people give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's some things begin to happen. Did you know that? I want you to read verses 6 with me in, number, in verse 7. Then I want to share three things and we'll be done. It says, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now watch this. Jesus is about to end this parable. Watch this. Notice what he says. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just person who need no repentance. I want you to see the progression. Watch what happens here. The first thing I notice in verse 5, that when the shepherd founds the sheep, what does he do? He rejoices. Amen? He rejoices. Do you know what happens when a person gives their life to the Lord Jesus Christ? You know who the first person is to rejoice? The person who just got saved. Amen? That person rejoices. And then you know who rejoices also? The person that the Lord uses to find that person. They begin to rejoice and get excited. Would you agree with me on that? And then he said, on my way back, I couldn't stand it. I was so happy. I wanted everybody to celebrate with me. I'd found that one lost sheep. That one that was lost is now found. He said, I called my neighbors and all my friends. You know who that is? The church. That's us, friends. Amen. We're to celebrate. We're to rejoice when people give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only do we rejoice, not only does the individual got saved rejoice, not only does the person led them to the Lord rejoice, the Bible says in heaven there's a hallelujah hoot nanny. The angels even rejoice. He said, you just got a little excited. I just happened to remember what it was like to be lost and get saved. That's what happens. You see, when the celebration is for three reasons, and here they are. Number one, that one lost sheep was rescued. Number one, he was rescued. He was rescued from disuse. How many people do you know say there's no purpose and meaning in my life? Man, there, I don't know what I'm going to do. Here, there, everywhere. Then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ comes in their life and gives them purpose and meaning and direction. And the next thing you know, man, they're in a different direction. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I was minding my own business when God called me to preach. I really was. I really was. I didn't want to preach. Didn't want to preach. No, I didn't want to re- preach. My degree's in poultry science. I'm a chicken doctor. I mean, I, I didn't want to do none of that mess. After God called me to preach, I went down to a conference in Roswell Street Road Baptist Church, I walked up to Dr. Jerry Vines and Dr. Charles Stanley. The, the, the conference was over. People had been standing in line to talk to him for an hour, and I was the last one in line, and so I was last. I was it. And they looked at me and said, how can I help you? I said, I got one question. I said, if God had called you to preach, where would you go to seminary? Jerry Vines says this. Dr. Vines says this. He said, well, do you have an undergraduate degree? I do. He said, where's it at? And where, where's, where did you go? I said, I'm from the University of Georgia. Uh, I'm an I'm a, uh, avian medicine. He said, avian being bird, medicine being doctor. He said, you a bird doctor? He said, you a chicken doctor. <laughs> Dr. Stanley started laughing and said, if God can take a saw and make a paw, there's hopes for you. I just want you to know something. <laughs> This year, some of you are teaching Sunday school. You never dreamed you'd be teaching the Word of God. 
Some of you are serving in your Sunday school class as member outreach leaders or care group leaders. You never dreamed you'd ever do it. Some of you are teaching Bible studies on Wednesday night. You never dreamed that God would ever use you in that capacity. You're sharing the gospel. You never dreamed that you would ever have the courage to share the gospel. But let me tell you something I think is even greater. You're providing a home where your children can grow up in the love and the admonition of the Lord and the greatest thing that you'll ever do is to lead your young ones to faith in Jesus Christ and help them grow to be all that God wants them to be. Disuse. He rescued them not only from disuse, he also rescued them from something else. Danger. Danger. I've already shared with you that sheep are in danger without a shepherd. The danger that lost people find face is temptation. The wiles of the devil, the, tra- the snares and the traps that have been set. Death is number three. Death. The Bible says we're in dead in sin and trespasses. The, the number one goal of Satan is to take you to hell. That's it. The number one goal of the shepherd is to find that one that sees herself as in, of no use, that sees herself in danger and death. Number next. Not only is they rescued, they're restored. They're restored. They're restored back to the shepherd. David, when does that take place? John, in chapter 3, there was a man. Just show you how dumb I was. The first time I ever read Nicodemus in a Saint school class, I said Nicodemus. There was a man there correcting me. He said, that's not Nicodemus, that's Nicodemus. I said, hey, been saved long, but I'm trying. I didn't know nothing. Don't know much more now. But I do know this. Restored man means being brought back into a right relationship. You know when that takes place? When you're born again. When you trust Christ as Savior, you're not only rescued, you're restored. And the last one is this, and I'm going to give the illustration. We're done. The last one was simply this. Returned. You've returned. He returned back to the Father. He said, David, what happens when all this takes place? The progression is simply this. They're shouting. There's rejoicing of the shepherd. There is the rejoicing of the neighbors, the church. There is rejoicing in heaven when that lost one is found and comes home. This past Sunday evening, out in the foyer, I'm going to tell you, I've never seen anybody in my life, I don't believe, any more happier than I saw Josh Letson. Josh is in here, and Josh, if you give me permission, I want to share this. You didn't know I was going to do this. Can I have permission to share this? Thank you. Sunday after church, after our pastor had been preaching, just one. Josh had a real burden to go back and try to witness to his daddy one more time. He had asked Pastor Shane to go. Pastor Shane had gone a couple of times. Just really wasn't a good time to be there. He had asked me to go, and it just really wasn't a good time to be there. And so we'd been praying for his daddy to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Sunday afternoon, God so burdened Josh that he got in his car and he told Michelle, said, I got to go see daddy. Well, his daddy called him on the phone and said, why don't you come have a hamburger with me? And so Josh and Michelle get to the house and Michelle, I believe you stayed in the car. Is that right? And Josh said, I won't be in there long. He probably ain't going listen, to listen to me, but I just got to go do it one more time. Why don't you just sit in the car and wait on me? She waited, she waited, she waited, she waited. Finally, Josh came out of the house tears down his face with a big smile, got in the car, and she said, so what happened? 
He said, my daddy just got saved. Hallelujah. His daddy just got saved. So he's rejoicing. He comes, tells me Sunday night, I got to rejoicing. I got to holler, and somebody thought I was having a fit over there. And I was just doing what you're supposed to do when somebody gets saved. Amen. I was just rejoicing. Other people heard what was going on. They were rejoicing. Folks, I'm telling you, when a person that is lost is found, there's rejoicing in the house of God. Let me ask you, where are you? Where are you? Have you ever received Christ as your Savior? He left heaven to look for you so he could find you to take you back to heaven. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Sitting here, the Holy Spirit of God has really shown you that you're not a child of God. You've never received Christ as your Savior, but you know you want to. He wants you to. The Bible says, for whosoever will, let him come. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So from your heart to God's heart, if you truly want Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and you want him to be your Savior, you're willing to turn from your sin in yourself and by faith receive him. That means to trust in him. Then, dear friend, why don't you ask him? Could I help you? Could I help you this morning? Would you say something like this from your heart to God's heart? And by the way, it's not this prayer that's going to save you. It's the attitude of your heart. If you cry out from your heart, say something like this. Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I truly believe that you are the Son of God. And you died on a cross called Calvary to pay for my sin. And I believe with all my heart that if I ask you, you'll forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and save me. Right now, Jesus, I'm asking with all there is in me, and I'm giving it all to you. And dear friend, if you prayed that meant that, won't you thank him? Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. This morning, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, with all their heads about and no one's looking, and you meant that with all your heart, would you just look right up here at me? Would you just look right up here just for a moment? I want you to just keep looking. I know this, these with glasses on, I'm telling you, these lights, they're just a little bit of trouble. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You can bow your head. Now listen to me. There's another group in here too. Maybe there's just that one, just one more, that God has burned your heart to pray for, to invite to that wild game dinner, to invite to come to Sunday school, to invite them to come to know Christ as Savior. Just one more. Maybe you need to come to the altar this morning and pray. The invitation is going to be real simple. This morning, you trusted Christ. When we stand, you come. You want to come and pray for those that need to trust Christ, you come. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. At that time, Phil's going to sing, and I'm going to ask you to come. Heavenly Father, today, have your willingness invitation. Do a work that only you can do. Draw the lost unto yourself. You found them. Father, I pray that we would have such a burden, compassion, love, and action. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll be like Josh. Oh, God, burden us to find just one more.
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?